Welcome to the Amy Williams Show. I'm your host, Amy Williams, and I am so excited that you're here listening to the show today. My hope and my prayer is that you find the strength and the comfort in knowing whatever you may be facing in your life right now, that you are not alone. Here on the Amy Williams Show, I'm all about being transparent in my personal struggles, my successes, and I pray that each episode brings you the motivation to keep moving forward. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Amy Williams Show. I am your host and podcast coach, Amy Williams. Before I introduce our amazing in-house, in-studio guest, I just wanted to say that um, if you haven't seen me posting on all the social medias about podcast coaching and the International Podcast Coaching Network, please find me on the social medias and check it out. I have a free three-day training that's wrapping up tonight if you're listening on Wednesday. If you're not listening today on, on release day, you can still join the Facebook group and we'll be doing uh, more live videos, more training, and I am just pumped up and I'm, I'm excited that I have the privilege to work with amazing women around the globe and help them uh, learn how to start a podcast and not only just start a podcast, but to use it to leverage your business and all the the people that you get to meet along the way and and how in the world do you monetize your podcast. So those are things that are going to be talked about and we're going to be doing in the, the Facebook group. So again, International Podcast Coaching Network, you can find it on Facebook. Uh, if you are struggling finding it in the search engine for some reason, um, because it is set at private, but you can always find the Amy Williams show and you'll see it posted in there. All right. So now I got the housekeeping out of the way. Y'all, I'm pumped. This episode, Tiana Hover. She is amazing. She's going to be talking about her adoption story. She's creating a documentary right now. She's talking about that. And I don't want to give out any more information. I don't want to be a spoiler. So, I hope you uh, not only enjoy this, but please, if you know anyone that's um, in a transracial adoption scenario, whether it's the parents or the child, either way, or nephew, niece, aunt, uncle, whatever it is, uh, let them listen to this. Share it to, to your uh, platform and, and give uh, Tiana a shout out. And uh, thank you for sharing her message because she does a wonderful job. The other thing I wanted to add was that uh, for the first time ever, I am giving you the raw, uncut, unchopped up version of the interview. Uh, I have like kind of done this, like, oh, I cut out the uhs or I cut out this or that. Um, Not in this one. You guys are getting start to finish the real deal, full conversation. Here it is. Enjoy. There we go. And then, like, if your mic is loud and I'm like, mm-hmm. and then I can just volume right now, it was all on one. I'm like, oh no, that's not right. What's happening? Okay. What is happening? Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so the best part is that you're actually in my 
podcast studio. You're I here know. with me. Which, I love it. You know, I love that the internet gives us the capability to have that reach and expand. Right. Uh, there's something so special and in-person conversation. So I'm, yes. I'm pumped. Let's yes. So I've been looking forward to this. I, I know, mean, really, me I've been super looking forward to this. Yeah, I know. I'm glad we got it in the books. I know. All right, so tell us a little bit about you. Give us some background, okay. and then we can dive into the the good stuff. Okay, so um, I work at Grand Valley, and I work for the Johnson Center for Philanthropy. And a lot of people think that we give away money, and we do not. But we help organizations that give away money, as well as nonprofits, to better serve the, com- the communities where they are. Uh, I'm getting my master's degree right now. I'm in my final semester. Whoop, whoop. Yay. So super excited about that, um, which is kind of how the documentary comes into play. Because as a master's student, you have to either do a thesis or a project. And mm. I didn't really want to do another paper. <laughs> I don't blame you. So I thought, oh, maybe I want to do a project. And I thought maybe I should do a documentary on connecting with my birth family because that's a journey that I've been on since 2018, which Mm -hmm. is not one I had ever planned on doing. I was not ever planning to connect with my birth family, Mm -hmm. which adoptees are different. Some are really wanting that and others are like, no, I'm good. Life's good. And so I was in that camp of life is good. I've got my parents Um, I've got the way I'm living my life. And so there was not a need for me, um, to go on that journey. So imagine my surprise Mm. when I get a phone call at work. So this wasn't even on my cell phone. This was at work, my work phone, get a phone call, um, from the confidential intermediary saying, I need to speak to you about a legal matter. And I'm like, um... Okay, so of course I had to go to a different phone because I'm like, I don't know what this is about. I'm not trying to do this in my cubicle where 50 million people pass by. So I went to another part of the office and called her back and she said, confirmed all my information and then said, your birth mother petitioned the court to try to find you. And I was like, whoa, what? Whoa. Never even occurred to me that someone else could look for me. Like, mm. even if I didn't instigate it, never thought, oh, well, she could do it. Nope, never crossed my mind. Mm. Always thought it was on me. That yeah. if it was something I wanted to do, that was how this happened. Mm. So I, I, I didn't know that was a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so really after doing me. some investigating, because my initial thought was, is this a scam? Like, is this for real that this is happening? Mm-hmm. And if I try to give my information out that this is, right. you know. Yeah, you never know. Right, right. I mean, these days that we live in, who knows? Mm-hmm. So I took like two and a half weeks to decide what I wanted to do, talked with my parents about it, and they were, whatever you decide, 100% whatever you decide, whether you decide to pursue this or you decide you're not going to, we support you whichever way. And that's not always the case with adoptees either. Right. Um, sometimes parents get anxious about how, what's this going to do to our relationship? Right. Um, and I just firmly believe that the relationship is what it is. 
that it's solid and that connecting with birth family does not change that. Um, but I'm not a parent, so I can't understand like from their perspective. So I'm curious you as a parent, if you had an adopted child and they were like, okay, I'm ready to find, or I just found out that, um, my birth parents are looking for me. How would I feel? Yeah. I have no idea. I think, um, off the cuff thinking about it, I would be a hundred percent supportive, but that would be to them. But when the, my door closes to my bedroom, <laughs> I'd be internally probably freaking out. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's definitely that, um, that thought process of, well, you know, even though you're adopted, you're my baby. I've raised you. I put into work. I did this. This is, this is our relationship. And then this person's just going to come in and swoop in after so many years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like the imposter syndrome for sure, because you think, you know, this person's more qualified than me. This person's better than me or this or that. And I would think as an adopted mom or a adoptive mom that I would think that woman who birthed my child had more qualifications than me mm. and that she would take over because it's a birth parent. You know, yeah. that's your, that's your DNA. That's mm-hmm. your, you know, so that I think I would struggle yeah. with that, but I don't think I would let my child know that mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> So what's interesting to me is that all the feelings that you were saying that I think behind closed doors, this would be my thought process. Those were my thoughts as the adopted child Mm. that she's going to come in. She's going to try to take over. She's going to try to run my life. She's going to try to, you know, let me try to make up for all the time that I wasn't here. And I was like. I'm not about that life. That is not... <laughs> that ain't me. I'm not trying to go there because I have parents. Mm-hmm. They raised me. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got my life going on. So I really had to pray about that and um, look at what was holding me back. And they were all things I couldn't control. Right. I couldn't control how she came into it. I couldn't control her thought process. Mm -hmm. The only thing I could control was me. And so I thought, okay, well, these are all fear things that those could be in any regular family that isn't even adoptive. You can have things that you're afraid of that are out of your control. So once I took those off the table, Mm -hmm. it was, all right, there isn't anything else that really is a reason to not look at this. Right. And you don't want to, at the end, decide, man, I really wish I had gone through with that that opportunity. Lingering over you. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. What if I didn't meet her? What if I didn't? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Exactly. And then I'm sure all of a sudden all the questions start popping in, like, okay, where is she? And what other family is there? And oh, my God, all of a sudden this... Yes. And you're like, I'm in my lane, I'm driving, and all of a sudden, <laughs> whoa, I'm in seven lanes of traffic. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So all of that was totally going through my mind, but I thought, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and my mom reminded me, you're in the driver's seat with this. Yeah. So you get to decide how the flow, how often, the way you communicate the whole deal. You mm-hmm. get to call the shots on that. So I decided to just start with email hmm. when I fill out the form. So there's a paperwork that we each had to fill out um, and say, you know, we could put 
address, phone number, all that. And I thought, nope, I'm just putting an email. I'm going to start there. <laughs> start small. Yes. Um, start? It was. It was a start. And it was a little bit tough at first because she had said I could ask her any questions I wanted and, um, you know, whatever I wanted to know, she was willing to give those answers. And I think, I don't know this 100%, but I think as I started asking questions, I think the reality of the whole thing started to really hit for her. Hmm. Because it's one thing as a birth parent to say, okay, ask me whatever you want to know. I'm willing to tell you. But then there's things that you have to relive in the telling of that mm. and the hurts that come up and things mm-hmm. that you've not had to think about for a long time that now this child is asking about. Mm. And so you can tend to, because what I saw was I'd ask questions. It would be not an immediate answer. Um, and then when I did get an answer, it was only a little bit of the questions answered so then I was finding myself, okay, so now let me try to ask the question in a different way to try to get the answer um, to the stuff mm-hmm. that I was like, I thought you said you were willing to answer all the questions. Right. And so it's a lot of a dance that you're doing in this process because this is somebody that you don't really know. No, but you're and connected. They, yes. And they don't really know you. So it was very much this weird, and even now it still is some of that, where the nuances of how you interact with one another. Mm -hmm. So um, in connecting with her, that also meant I connected with my brother. So she only had two children, and it was the two of us. Um, And so connecting with him, what I found very interesting is that when he and I started communicating, um, especially our first phone call, it felt like I had known him my entire life, mm. only we just hadn't seen each other in a really long time. Mm-hmm. So it felt, it had that feeling of picking up with your best friend, like where you left off, like, okay, I haven't seen you in five years. Yes, we've done Facebook or whatever, but now we're going to see each other face to face. And that first phone call, that's absolutely what it felt like. Like I had known him forever and we just, let's just pick up where we left off. Even though I'd never met him ever, not one day. Huh. So take take me back before we get too far into the meetings and the, yeah. you know, the cool stuff yeah. that we're going to talk about. Um, your... Talk about your adoptive family and growing up a little bit. Yeah. So my parents are white. Mm -hmm. Um, I was adopted when I was four months old. It was 1971. So 1971, you're not finding a lot of transracial adoption happening. Mm -hmm. Where today, it's very commonplace Mm -hmm. to have a white family that's adopting an Asian child, an African child, African-American child, um, you name it, it. Romanian. I mean, just across the board, a lot of transracial adoption takes place. 1971, there wasn't a lot of that. And typically, um, even today in African-American culture, a child tends to stay within the family. Like there's somebody Mm. in the family that is going to adopt the child or foster. You don't see the child yeah. just totally, they're not 
even with their people. Um, and so um, what's kind of interesting about that is Jada Pinkett Smith on her uh, Red Table Talk show, she had um, a woman similar to me adopted by a white family on the show. And I remember Jada's mother making a comment about she shouldn't have been adopted by white people, basically. She should have been with her family. And I thought, but you don't know what the circumstances are behind that. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to just throw that out there. When you don't fully understand that there may be a reason why the birth mother didn't have her family um, be the support system, which was the case for me. So uh, my birth mother, Tiny, her, um, which is her, the name she goes by is Tiny. Um, Her name is Edna. Okay. So for my birth mother... She had had a growing up experience where she didn't feel that that was a safe place to trust that. And so for her, it was adoption. Mm -hmm. That was the, that was how she was going to do that. So, um, in terms of my parents, them deciding to adopt, they decided, you know what? There are so many kids that need loving homes, need a loving family, that they decided we'll do that instead of have our own kids. So they never had any of their own biological children and adopted. And they their criteria were we want hard to place children. Hmm. And so 1971, I was considered hard to place. Hmm. Even though healthy, yeah. nothing wrong, no health hmm. issues, I was considered hard to place. So do you have... I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> I was like... I'm ready can, for my next question, which is why it started to come out. And yeah. I'm like, oh man, I gotta, yep. like, I gotta chew on that a minute. Yeah. Do you have um, brothers and sisters then in your adopted, like your yes. big family, small yep. family? So um, there were three of us okay. um, growing up. So my sister, who was the next child that was adopted, she is part African-American, part Vietnamese. And mm. so she came to us from Vietnam. Mm. So she was born in 72. So we're coming, you know, talking about end of Vietnam War. Yeah, close in age. So most likely her um, father was a U.S. soldier. Hmm. Um, But she was in an orphanage over there. Um, And then my brother, uh, also born in 1972. But when he came to our family, he was five. Okay. So, um, and he's actually had an opportunity to meet his biological family. That was going to be my next question. Yes. Like, have they had yes. this experience too or, or not? So my brother, yes. My sister wanted to. And so there was some communication initially, but it turned out that it was really just about trying to get money. Um, her birth mom was trying to get money and which in some way I can kind of understand, especially if she's still in Vietnam. But at the same time as an adoptee, that's like, wait, that's the only reason. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Very much. I mean, cause it's almost like, I don't really care about you as much as knowing you are in the United States adopted into a family that I'm sure was Better off than if you had stayed here. And so I'm just trying to get what I can from you. Yeah. But it's not about you and what right. you're wanting to connect right. with you. Right. So that double rejection is just mm, yeah, that's really tough. tough. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about, <laughs> oh my goodness. It's, oh, this see, is, this is the great I, thing about is, being in studios because I can I see your face and your reaction and you are just like, I have so many things. things. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I have a feeling this episode is not going to be in that like 20, 30 minute time frame, mm-hmm. which is fine. We're going to make, as long as it's good, we're going to keep going. Excellent. Um, And hopefully our listeners will love it too. So, yes. okay, let's, let's go to the 1970s and uh-huh. you're hard to place because yes. that for one is heartbreaking mm-hmm. that that's even, but it, it you know, that's seventies yeah. and before that and after that mm-hmm. still. Um, so when you think back about that and you say, I was considered hard to place. How does that make you feel like right now in this space? It's so mind boggling, especially because I think, well, I guess it's twofold. So part of it's like a mixed deal. So part of me is just like, why is that? How is that even a qualification that I would be considered that? Mm -hmm. Because I'm a healthy child born healthy no medical right um challenges on the other hand knowing 1970s um not too long after the Detroit riots really in terms of when I was born uh and so a lot of the racial tension that was happening then and still today it's still n- I guess not that surprising because within the black community, they wouldn't have considered adopting me because I wasn't related to Mm -hmm. them. Generally white families wouldn't have considered adopting me because I wasn't white. Hmm. And I think there's, I mean, it's not just that you weren't white, but I think in the seventies and maybe even eighties, it was more common for a a white couple to Mm -hmm. adopt Asian or yes, you know, yes, other yes, <laughs> just put put everybody other. else and, yes, non African American yes, right, <laughs> anything else but that mm-hmm. you know and and so it was more acceptable mm-hmm. to say oh yep this one's adopted he's Asian she's Asian or Vietnamese or you know put put the yeah you know whatever not that that's a bad thing right. that that they're getting adopted because I have friends that were adopted and I love them and they have great families. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not speaking bad on those people right. at all, but it was just more accepted. Right. And so it's just thinking like how you just put it like, well, yeah, that makes sense. You were hard to place, which mm-hmm. is crazy, especially <laughs> because I didn't know you then. I know you now. Right. And I think you're incredible yeah. and your value and your worth is so high. That's mm-hmm. like, huh? Yeah. Wow, you're hard to place. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. 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 Okay. So you've got... a you have like such an incredibly mixed little family. Yes. And I love that. That's yeah. so amazing. And I applaud your parents for stepping out because I'm sure that was not easy for them. It was not easy. And it comes up in the documentary. I didn't realize some of the family dynamics um, that they were then going to have to face because of the fact that they were out adopting outside of their ethnic background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's one of those interesting things that as a child, you can be shielded from a lot of that and not see it um, or understand necessarily what's happening or going on. But um, as an adult person and looking at it, it was just like, Wow. I did not realize some of the racism and racist people 
that were part of the family. And then you think about, okay, then how does my dad escape that and not come away with that whole mentality and line of thinking? Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I find to be very, very interesting is that my dad escaped that even being a part of mm-hmm. um, how, you know, how he lived. It. Yeah, yeah. Which can be very hard to do because you've got parents that are saying, you know, it's fine to have them as friends, but don't bring one home. Like, don't marry one. Mm-hmm. Um, grandparents that say it's fine to um, have them as friends, but don't bring one home. You know, don't, you know, right. like they can't come to our house. Right. They can be elsewhere. And basically, like, I don't want to know about it. Right. So for my parents, it cost them. Um, he, my dad had uh, an aunt and uncle that were like, nope, we don't want anything to do with that. Oh, so crazy to me. Yeah. Nothing to do with it. Their loss. Right. Me. Yeah. But um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something along those lines. I, oh, so I think when you're talking about your dad and how he was able to escape that. Like mm-hmm. for me, that is a message of hope. Yeah. And that just because someone is brought up in that toxic, negative, racist mindset and culture, that it doesn't mean you have to stay stuck there. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that just because everybody around you has said certain things about certain groups of people. Yeah. It doesn't make it true and that you can go learn for yourself. Right. You know, kind of like when we talk about the Bible. Like, are you just going to listen to what everybody else says the Bible says? Or are you going to open it up and read it for yourself? Right. Like, you exactly. have to educate yourself and be willing and wanting to do that. Yes. And not just say, oh, well, my parents don't like black people, so I don't like black people. Right. But it gives me so much hope yeah. that he's able to escape it. Yeah. And I think that's great. I yeah. think that's there's a good little message mm-hmm. in just that little portion. Yeah. Okay, so let's fast forward. Documentary. Documentary okay. time. So, documentary. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited for this part. So, uh, there's just so much. Um, so, even before getting Hold into... On. Yeah. I'm going to have to edit that because I did not plan on making a noise. Oh. Okay, start. Go back. So, uh, in terms of the documentary... Um, there's just so, so much um, in trying to do it. And some things that I discovered about myself and um, I think just some of the things that people struggle with as you get into finding your birth family um, or just they discover you and you're on this journey. Because one of the things that I had not anticipated was... Um, and meeting some of my family. So meeting my birth mom, this was probably one of the hardest things. Um, one of the initial emails that she had sent to me, she talked about her weight and like she'd put something in there about her weight. And this isn't something that I share in the documentary. It's not in there. Um, but I remember thinking, is this going to be a problem? Because She's definitely thin, which I am not a thin person. I take after probably more on my dad's side of the family. Um, And so I remember that being the back of my head, but I was just kind of thought, you know what? That whatever, just I'm not going to worry about it, etc. 
And then probably the first time I met her, um, within the first 24 hours of being there, she probably said something about my weight three times. Um, and right. Oh my word. Uh huh. Yeah. So I just remember like, wow, that not feeling like you're enough Mm. and you're thinking, okay, I could have opted to not even do any of this. Yeah. And this is, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're talking about. Really? Really? Of all the things that, right. <laughs> how many uh-huh. years we're going yes. through, and that's what you're yes. going to focus on. Yes, and this is what you're going to focus on. So I remember um, going into my uh, makeup group. So I'm a unique uh, representative, and I had gone into my makeup group because I knew it was a private group, and um, mm-hmm. just a loving group of women that I absolutely cherish. And I went in there and so I had been giving updates about how the trip was going. And so I went in and so I was talking about this is how today went. And then I got into that whole thing. The next thing I know, you know, it's a live video. I'm having a meltdown. And if you've ever done a live where you're having a meltdown, um, it's really hard to then decide, (laughs) how am I getting out of this now? (laughs) I have done lots of live videos, uh, but I have never had a meltdown on live. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, be that's one in the books that you will never forget. Oh no, no, you don't, <laughs> you don't ever forget that. Cause then it's like, okay, I could just stop the live video, but then everybody's like, what happened? Where'd she go? I mean, or like, okay, let me try to get myself under control and mm-hmm. wrap up the video as best I can. Which is what I ended up doing. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. Good recovery. <laughs> um, but then I texted my mother immediately and just said, I wish you were here. Actually, I want to come home. Um, and so she had not seen the video at that point. But I knew when she had because she texted me and said, um, if you want, I can get you a ticket. I can, I can get you a plane ticket and fly you home. And I was like... I really would love to, but I thought, nope, I really need to stay. Um, I knew that that was not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to stick it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And from there, she never said anything more about it again. Hmm. Um, However, the last time that I went to visit her, which was in November, um, over Thanksgiving, uh, within five minutes of me coming in the door, she said... Basically, her comment was, who said you could gain weight? I'm getting my master's degree. There's no time to do anything. You're just grabbing food whenever you can. You're under a lot of stress because you're trying to just get your reading done and your papers and everything else. So I was just like, is she for real right now? Because, wow. But what I realized is I had changed in how I handled her. Mm. So it wasn't the meltdown. It wasn't the... Whatever, I just was like, okay, it's her, and that's not going to change. Yeah. Um, at this stage in her life, this is how who she is. And so I just knew I have to be comfortable enough and strong enough in myself and who I am that I wasn't going to let her negative comments and whatever that was, like, try to take me down. Right. So I asked her, I said, so did anybody, like, when you were a child, like, call you fat or say anything about your weight no and I thought okay 
That was my, because I couldn't figure out really where, it's coming, where it's coming from. And that was the only thing I could think of is that somewhere in there, hmm. but it comes from somewhere. Oh yeah, absolutely. It comes from somewhere. I just haven't, haven't landed on quite yet where, <laughs> where that is. So that was a huge, that's one of those things that no one talks about. No one tells you. It always seems like it's going to be this fantastical thing. You've decided you're going to meet your birth family. And no one talks about sometimes the toughness of doing that. Mm. The um, things that they're going to say or do that you're like, rude. (laughs) You know, I just like, not appropriate. I don't have to be around you if I don't want to. Right, right, exactly. Um, So there's that piece. And then I think also one of the other things that I realized in doing this is sometimes people aren't ready. Yeah. That as much as they say, yes, I'm in favor of helping you with his documentary and telling the story and all of that. And my side of what happened at the time that, you know, you were born. They're not really ready. Mm -mm. They're not really ready for that. Um, And that happened with my brother. And I was really really surprised that really floored me. I was, I was not prepared for that. For what? Uh, for him to say, yeah, I'm not going to be in the documentary. Oh, so with your brother is Mm -hmm. so that your, your birth mom had you and him. Yes. Was he first or second? He was first. So was he adopted out as well or no? no? Oh man. Okay. So we've got to unwrap that. Yeah. So that, that was a whole, I had in my mind. I cannot, I cannot even fathom the emotional process that not only have you been through, but that you're going to continue to go through. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So he was not adopted. So he was with his family the whole, you know, his whole growing up and, um, Tiny went into the military So, you know, he was kind of in and out of, depending on where she was stationed, he was either with her or in Birmingham, Alabama with family. Mm. Um, And so she made the decision that, um, nope, she was not going to have me be a part of that. But the other thing was, because she was going into the military at the time, they were saying, you can bring one child on base. So... Then I'm split because the little kid side of me says, pick something else. Why are you going to pick the military if you can only take one of us? Mm-hmm. So now you're going to choose one of us to take and one of us. No. Mm-hmm. Then there's the adult side of me, though, that having met her and some of her personality and the way she is, I know that with my personality, that would have been really detrimental to the person that I became. Mm. It, I would not be the person that I am. No, no. Um, because she was not necessarily, she could be very critical. Like I saw it in my brother. I mean, I saw how she did that to him on a very regular basis. Um, in the During that first time that I met her, just every, anything that she could you know, say something about, it couldn't just be 
kindly said or ask a question, there were just assumptions made or Mm -hmm. about what the intent was or whatever. And so critical about what he was doing, what lane he was in as we're driving from the airport back to her house. I mean, just, I was like, wow. Nitpicky. Yes. And he had told me about that, but then to just see it was Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is your whole life of this, Mm. your whole life of this. And so I knew then, I thought, nope, I was in the right family. God saw from the very beginning what I needed to be the person that he called me to be and Mm -hmm. that it wasn't going to happen from my birth family. Yet he also saw that at some point I needed to connect back to them Mm -hmm. to fill in the pieces that were missing, which I didn't even recognize that I had missing pieces. Mm-hmm. Didn't even, I felt like I had everything. I was a whole person. There was nothing missing. There was no need for me to connect with them. But, and then in connecting with them, I suddenly could see yeah. and feel what had been missing. Um, oh my gosh. There's just, Yeah. It's, my mind is racing with you. And I knew it was going to do this. And I like prepped myself for what questions I was going to ask you. And now I have all new questions. (laughs) Okay. So I really, really, oh, I think there's, there's some key things that I'm taking away. So Mm -hmm. I just kind of want to sum it up. For one, your parents are rock stars. Your adopted parents. Yeah. I think it's amazing that your birth mom made the tough choice because yes. I'm sure that was not easy for her. Mm-hmm. But then to also come back years later and say, okay, like I want to check in on my daughter. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's super incredible. I cannot imagine giving up any one of my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that adoption is hard. Yeah. And so like, there's so many avenues yes. of hard. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so I commend like everybody in this situation mm-hmm. is, Doing the best they can. Right. And that's just it. I think sometimes that gets lost is that when a parent decides they are placing their child for adoption, I don't like to use giving up for adoption because that, yeah, that just, that is a whole, yeah. yeah. So placing for adoption, when they decide to do that, um, there are so many things and factors that I don't think anyone fully understands that are going through their mind when they do that. Um, and so a lot of times um, the birth parent can be seen as um, just kind of less than second class citizen when, you know, They're until you heroes. get the full story, because there are so many other things they could have chosen to do to handle that situation. Right. Um, and they thought, you know what? I think this is going to be the best choice. And I love that. I think the, the biggest takeaway that I'm getting is not only the message of hope, mm-hmm. but that, um, that you're praising God through the process yeah. and, and enjoying, you know, like praise him through the storm. This is a storm, but a good storm. You yeah. know, a storm doesn't mean, I mean, right. it's crashing down. Like, this yeah. is a whole new world. Yes. And it's it's dirty, it's messy, yes. and it's it's inspiring and yeah. hopeful at the same time. Yeah. Um, I really, really want to get into this. Um, we're we're going to, before we wrap up, we'll talk about 
how we can get to your documentary, yes. how we can support your documentary. Yes. But um, I have friends that have adapted that are they're white. They have adapted the tra- transracial. Transit. Okay, I want to call it interracial adoption because yes. to me everything's interracial. <laughs> right, which that would have been what I had used, but I apparently the term is transracial when that was that's new to me. Yes. Okay. So you get to learn something new. I, I'm learning lots new. <laughs> I like it. Um, so I want, I want to know with your experience being a black woman mm-hmm. or black girl being raised by white parents, um, what that was like. And if you have any advice for parents that are white now who have adapted transracially. Yes. So my parents, you talked about them being rock stars and 1970s, there was not Zillow. There's not Realtor.com. There's not Trulia. Uh, you know, there's none of those apps that we can go to to find property without touching base with a realtor. My parents decided that they wanted to move somewhere where they their kids could have people that looked like them. Mm. So we were living in the Lansing area. We were living in Dansville, which is a rural um, town outside of Lansing. Definitely not interracial there may be a few people of color that live there now not very but diverse no 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 that's no, no not um but my parents were not interested in living in the city they really liked being in the country and they had some friends that had said hey we just bought a place in blanchard and so you might consider checking out remus so my parents did and they bought 20 acres and built a house and we moved there and just down the street from our house was a church and that church was a black church. Mm. And so we started attending mostly so that we could meet people. I mean, by we, I mean, my mom and dad were like, well, this is a really quick way that we can meet people Mm. and it's a black church. So there are people that look like our kids. This is great. And even though my parents grew up in Christian families, that was not where they were at at the time. Mm -hmm. And so in going there, um, my parents really, um, truly gave their lives to Christ at that point. Mm -hmm. And my dad became, um, a minister while we were there and actually started preaching at that church. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. So my dad, white guy pastoring a black church, Um, which is pretty amazing. Um, so in being there, my mom learned how to cornrow. Um, she made sure my parents were very intentional about trying to connect us with, uh, who we are. Uh, so my mom learned how to cornrow hair. They had us where we could be around people that looked like us. Um, my mom even made dashikis. So like, I've got a school picture. I think it was like my first grade, my kinder or first grade, um, school picture where I had my dashiki on and my turtleneck. Cause of course it's fall. Mm-hmm. Um, my natural hair. You're gonna um, have to send me that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. I will. I will see if I can find that. Cause I know it's somewhere. Um, and so really doing, um, what they could to make sure that we didn't lose that side of us. Your identity. Yeah. Mm. Um, And so that is one of the things that I really would encourage um, adoptive parents today. If you are adopting a child of another ethnicity than yourself, 
find ways to help them not lose that culture mm. that they come from. Yeah. Um, so if you have a, a child of color, um, a black child, African-American, I really encourage you to learn how to cornrow. It's easy to like, okay, well, I'm going to take my child to the salon and get the braids put in and all that. But I would say like, learn how to cornrow. Even if it's like, they don't leave it in very long or whatever. There is something about your child knowing that you took the time to learn it yourself and do that. That mm-hmm. is so incredible. Um, and there may be black parents out there. They're like, I don't even crown roll my child's hair. <laughs> I am not sitting there with their fidgety self trying to do that. And that's okay. Um, <laughs> as you know, you're like, I know um, how to crown roll. I no. <laughs> no eggs. I, like, we can hardly get a brush through her hair. Right. Ow, 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 ow. Yeah, those oh. sensitive scalps. Yes. Um, so I get the point. It's, yes. not, it's not necessarily learn how to cornrow, but it's learn the culture, learn yes. what um, difficulties, learn the history, yes. learn um, learn the food. Pot, yeah, the food. Ooh. Yeah, learn the you food. You know, I thought I knew the food, but now I do. I didn't. Yeah. But now I'm like, oh, uh-huh. there's more than salt and pepper. Right. <laughs> right. We, we recently ran out of pepper. I know it's uh-huh. a total side story. It's irrelevant to the story, but. Um, and I cooked, and I was like, I don't have any pepper. I don't have any. He's like, how can we be a house without pepper? I'm like, oh. I'm like, it just doesn't taste the same. <laughs> right. Like, oh. Everybody has salt and pepper. Yes. No, no, yes. not the Williams house. We, we finally got our yeah. pepper back. But yeah. Salt, pepper, yeah. hot sauce. I think it's really important, and I think uh, schooling is important. And I think yes. we're kind of in a yes. a weird situation, too. Yeah. Um, it's totally different in our situation than in an adoptive family because uh, like they're together, they're the same, Mm -hmm. you know, um, where as you, your parents are white, your school is white, your church is white, everybody's around you white. And what's, why am I different? Yeah. I can't imagine feeling so left out and so lonely and and something you cannot control. You cannot change the color of your skin. Right. And you're just in it Mm -hmm. going, okay, what the heck is this? Yeah. I can't even imagine it. Um, what was so interesting is that I never felt because of where we lived when we lived uh, in Remus, there were um, a lot of so we had interracial marriage that was happening. So there were a lot of mixed kids. Plus, we had the white kids. So school, I saw a, there was a lot of diversity. Mm-hmm. Now, what was interesting is when we moved from there back to the Lansing area, we lived in Grand Ledge. Definitely not diverse. So that's when I really went back to, I am, I'm the person of color in the room. Mm. It, there, and that was my high school experience Let's for the most part. Okay. So, um, we moved to Grand Ledge when I was in eighth grade. So part way through my eighth grade year, we moved there. And then when I, right before I started high school, we moved to DeWitt and, uh, which is another, there were a couple people of color besides myself in my graduating class, but that's it. Mm. And most of the high school white. To your token. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so that was, it was just kind of like, this is life. This is how it is. Yeah. So you just kind of get, get used to it. Mm-hmm. You get used to being the one person of color in the room. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until my previous church that I was at, 
um, that I, on staff where they were very intentional about wanting to be a multicultural, um, intergenerational church that going into those spaces again, where I was the only person of color really felt weird, Mm. really felt off. I can't even imagine. Um, and so just being in those spaces is not, I'm no longer okay with it. Yeah. No longer okay with that. I get it, but I'm not okay with the fact that it's like that. Right. Um, and how people can feel, you know, if it's like that, are you even cognizant of the fact that you are all white? Um, do you want to have people of color as part of your group? Um, if so, what are you doing to try to make it that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you get them there, is it just so you can say that you have people of color there or are you really wanting them and their viewpoint and what they bring to the table to be a part of what you're doing and in that space? Um, because it's very easy to just, okay, well, yeah, we've got some people of color, but do they really feel like they can be fully present? Do they feel like they really have a voice in what's going on and what's happening? Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case. So, right. mm -hmm. I know for me, it's it's flip side, and there's very few occasions that I'm the only white person. Uh-huh. You know, it's usually holidays or, you know, family get-togethers right. on his side. Uh-huh. Um, but they've been just so awesome and welcoming that I, I don't feel uncomfortable. So when you say, oh, I'm yeah. the only, like, I can get that, and I go, yeah. oh, I'm the only white person in here. But I <laughs> yeah. don't feel awkward or uncomfortable or, you know, I don't feel a certain way yeah. about it because... I don't feel that coming off of them. Which is you know? awesome. Which, yeah, it's, I mean, it was like, you know, the first time you meet sure. your, your boyfriend's family, it's nerve wracking regardless <laughs> right? of skin color. Right. But it was, you know, so, but they were so awesome. They were just like, hey, come on in, you know, and, and that was great. I mean, yeah, you know, you have your, your in-law issues on both sides, yes. whatever, you know, it's, you're mm-hmm. going to have that regardless. It's yeah. marriage. It's yeah. messy. But, um, they, they never made me feel unwelcomed or unwanted. Yeah. And so like I can say I relate, but at the same time I don't Mm -hmm. like at all. Yeah. So when you talk about being in spaces with, um, family, so this November I got to meet, uh, this past November I got to meet family that I had not met before that I'm related to. Mm. So to be in a room, because you're not really sure, because you've met a couple specific people, but now it's really opening up to, now this is the cousins, the cousins' kids, all of that space. Mm-hmm. So how is that really going to go? How you know Are people going to feel comfortable? Or is it going to be welcoming? And to sit in a room watching the LSU Alabama game um, with family was, and not feel uncomfortable. Like it was amazing Mm -hmm. that like, wow, these are all people. These are my people. Mm -hmm. These are all people I'm related to. And um, they were all so excited to meet me. They'd heard that they, that tiny had found me, um, and everything else. And so they were like, Jay, you've got to make sure that, you know, you bring her and all of that. 
And so to be there and spend time with them and the hugs Mm. and everything else was so, so incredible. And then like, well, when are you coming back? You know, you've got to make sure you come back again. And I thought, oh, don't worry. I'll be back. (laughs) Um, It was just so amazing. So, so amazing. Um, And we haven't even talked about meeting my father yet. No, I know. And I'm writing (laughs) questions down as you're going like, oh, no. (laughs) Uh, Maybe we have to do a part two. Right? That may be. Um, before we talk about your dad, mm-hmm. since we're on the what advice would you give? Because yes. what advice for, for parents? What about for the children that are adopted? Yeah. And maybe, um, I don't imagine young kids are listening to this. So I'm thinking about like our age or maybe a little yep. bit younger that are like, what's it like to, like I haven't connected yeah. or, you know, what's that possibility Maybe just some words of encouragement or advice that you would give um, to someone in your shoes. Yeah. Uh, What I would say is if you know of somebody who's an adoptee, who is an adult adoptee, who is further along on the journey than you um, and is willing to be the sounding board, willing to um, give you advice and to sit with you and talk about their experience, connect with them. So for me, Erica Curry-Vanny was that person. Um, She's like five years into her um, journey of having met her birth family. And so when I found that out, um, she had asked me if I was planning to find mine. And I was like, no, I'm not planning to do that. Well, probably about mm, four or five months later, I get the phone call. And then I was like, Erica, (laughs) guess what? Yes. Yes. Um, and she's been absolutely phenomenal in terms of advice and helping me process what's going on and my emotions and what I'm feeling, because you're going to have emotions about it as you go on this journey. Um, and also just take it slowly. Um, it's been however long it's been, you know, depending on your age. I mean, I was 40, going to turn 47 the year that um, I got the phone call. And so I, you don't, I don't know how old you may be at this point when you're either starting the journey or considering it. But just take it slowly once the connection happens because... Everybody's trying to get used to what this is. What is it going to look like? Um, Getting to know the nuances of you as a person, you getting to know them as a person and what they're like, because whatever, wherever they're at is pretty solid. Wherever you are as a person, that's set in stone. And then where they are as a person, that's set as well. And so trying to bring those two things together that have not been in the same room, have not been together, it's going to take time to figure those things out um, and how to interact well with one another. Um, And then the other thing that I would say is um, be, be cautiously optimistic. Things may not go the way you thought, because there could be a come a point in time where for whatever reason they pull back or they pull away completely. Um, and I don't know why they do that. 
Um, I don't understand it, especially if they really thought this is what I want to do. I want to connect with my um, child. I want to see where they are. There could come a point in time where everything seems open and fantastic. And all of a sudden the doors close and you're like, wait, what, what just happened? Hmm. And it, so it's that possible second rejection. And I don't say this to scare anybody or to make someone think, oh, I don't want to do it. Because I think that there's always going to be something you pick up regardless of the direction that it goes if you decide to move forward with it. But I also want someone to be prepared because that's what happened with my brother. Uh, When he connected with his uh, birth family, they were the ones that had reached out and had wanted to um, have this relationship. And so we got to meet his birth mother, got to meet his sisters, um, other family. And so things seemed like they were great. But then people started pulling back, um, making comments like you're not black enough. Um, You talk too white. Um, whatever your politics are, they don't line up with what our politics are. So then those things, it like it wasn't okay to just be the person that he was. Mm. Um, like somehow, I'm not really sure what they were expecting. I was going to say, what was their expectation? Right. I'm not really sure <laughs> what those were. Um, and so if you're not That's meeting hard, the though. expectation then that can be what happens, even though you're like, I don't know what you thought was, I don't know who you thought I was going to be. Um, they don't. They don't know who you're going to be. Right. And you don't know who they're going to be. Right. Exactly. Oh, it's such a weird, it's so different. It's mind boggling. Yeah. The, all the different aspects of it. Like, mm-hmm. are they sitting here saying, I want, like, for your mom, I'm for your birth mom, I'm thinking that she's probably thought for years I want to meet my daughter. Yes. And then finally says, okay, I'm going to make the call. And then let's see what, like, it's not like all of a sudden she's one day, she just, Oh, let's, let's see what that happens. You know, I'm sure it's it's this long process. So if they've reached out already, or if you're starting that process, like to know, like this wasn't a snap decision, right. An adoption in itself is not a snap decision. Normally. I mean, I'm sure there's probably a few cases. Mm hmm. Um, but not typically. But not typically. It's a it's a thought out process, and it and it's usually to to benefit the child. Correct. So, um, all right. So we have a few more minutes. Okay. Jump in on meeting your dad. Okay. And then we'll we'll wrap it up with how we can okay. continue the journey with you. All right. Sounds good. So, um, when I met Tiny, her hairstylist um, was. Um, asking about my visit and, you know, she knew that Tiny had been trying to find me and was super ecstatic when, um, she knew that I had, um, been found. And so I was asking her about how she had met Tiny and everything else. And then she shared with me a little bit of her story of finding a sister that they lived very close to each other for quite a few years and just didn't realize that they, yes, Um, so for her knowing, you know, because of her own experience and knowing that I had not really had good, um, luck in trying to connect with my birth father, um, she has a little boutique. And so she had some friends on the police force that she had said, listen, I've got this boutique. People will be coming in and out because I run it out of my home. So I just need you to know that. So you're not thinking there's anything crazy happening. Um, if neighbors should call you, this is what's going on. 
So she reached out to them and said, hey, I've got a name and I've got a birth date and potential city. Can you see what you can find? And here's why I'm asking. So she came back with an address. Mm. So, um, so that would have been July, 2018. I get the address. I did nothing with it until, um, May of 2019 sat on it for almost a year. And I thought, okay, I really, I, every once in a while I pick up the address and I'm like, yeah, I should really write a letter. And then I put it back down. Like I can't deal with it right now. So one morning during my quiet time, um, God was like, you need to write the letter today. Mm. And it goes in the mail today. And I was like, oh, I mean, I was a hot mess. I was absolutely a hot mess. And I was like, okay. So I wrote the letter and it was like a one sheet, like, you know, those smaller notebooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the notebook that I'm looking at, like cut that in half. And that was the size of the piece of paper. Mm. one-sided, handwritten note, fold it, put it in an envelope, dropped it in the mailbox and was like, okay, well, now you can't take it back out because it's done now. So I thought, okay, well, we'll see what happens. And I thought this is, must be how Tiny felt, knowing that I had absolute right to say, no, I don't want to connect with you. Mm-hmm. And she'd have been like, okay, well, at least I know she's alive, but that's all I get. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, we'll see what happens. Um, and so probably about a week and a half later, I get an email from Chester, who, um, is my birth father from his wife, Gwendolyn saying that, um, Chester got your letter and he is interested in connecting with you. Cause I had put my, um, email address in there that if you're interested in connecting, here's my email address. Um, thinking, mm. okay, we can start it slow. I'm not trying mm. to have it be crazy. Um, and so I really tried to, based on how things had gone with Tiny, because she was just like fire hose of information that some of it I hadn't even asked for. She just thought, well, let me just tell you all the stuff. Um, I didn't want to do that to him. I thought, let me just slow it down because I knew I hadn't liked it. So let me just be more thoughtful about how I interact with him and Mm-hmm. All of that. So um, we were trying to do email, but he doesn't really do email a lot. So he was going to have to like get on Gwendolyn's computer and all of that. Mm-hmm. So he added Messenger to his phone. So that's how we communicate is oh. we get on Messenger um, pretty much every day. We check in and see how each other is doing. Um, so July of 2019... Um, I got to meet him for the first time. So it would have been 4th of July weekend. I drove to Detroit. It was just me. Um, Mm. I initially thought I'm going to have my parents come, but then I thought, you know what? I don't want this to be overwhelming, which it could be. I don't even know how this is going to go. So, um, I get to their house and it was kind of initially had that feeling of going to visit friends of your parents that you just haven't seen in a really long time, but you're like, well, I'm in town. I should probably stop by. So then I can tell my dad, hey, I stopped by and saw so-and-so. It had that feeling. But then by the end when I left, so I got there maybe about 1130 in the morning and it was like almost seven o'clock that night by the time I left. Um, It was the super long hug that you don't want to end. Him saying, no, I need you to call me 
when you get home so I know that you made it okay. And then him saying, now, do you need anything for your card? I'm thinking, need anything for my car? No. Handed me money. And I was like, okay. And I knew better than to like say, no, no, no. Like that was just, it was not going to work. So I was like, okay, fine. Um, him pulling out pictures and telling me who everybody was and telling stories. Like I really see my personality is very much like his personality um, in terms of uh, lots of laughs and just the storytelling and all of that. Mm. Um, and then his wife, Gwendolyn, that was the thing that really stood out to me is she did not know anything about me. She didn't know I existed until the letter came. Oh my word. How and she said, uh, they've been married 30 years, I think. Something like wow. that. Um, so for her to find out and then be so open and kind and welcoming to this child that she didn't even know existed, um, to me just speaks volumes about the type of person that she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said to me, if I had known, we'd have been looking for you. We'd have been looking for you. Um, and so for him, it was just the biggest gift that, um, I would even want to, you know, get to know him or So did, did they have kids together? No, they didn't have any children together, but they each had children from, um, previous marriages. Yeah. So then now you've got your, your brother that you've met over here yes. and now you're meeting people from over here yes. and it's like, oh wow. Yeah. So and I have but siblings they're in Alabama, side. but they're in Detroit. Yeah. So my dad, um, uh, my grandfather lives in Detroit. Um, and then my brother Jay, he lives in Birmingham, Alabama and then tiny lives in Memphis. Um, but all of her family is in Birmingham. Mm. So that's where she's originally from is, is Memphis. Hmm. So when she was 16, she got on a bus and went to Detroit. So that's how I ended up being born in Detroit. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, how does this all work? How do you go from, you know. Right. How do you go from there to. Right. 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 Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So just. Yeah. So you're still continuing the relationship with both of them. You're doing the documentary. Tell us like, how do we follow you, support you, find you. Okay. And all that. So I'm on Instagram. So if you go to vitamin T 71, um, you can find me on Instagram. So there's uh, stuff there. Um, I'm also on Facebook. So if you go to Tiana Hover, you can find me there. Um, and I do have a PayPal link. So if people want to financially support, which I would super love, um, the cost of doing this is um, quite eye opening. Um, (laughs) uh, you know, so, and I, I've had people who've been super generous and kind and are, you know, giving me their time, um, and are not saying, you know, this is how much I'm going to charge you. Cause then I'd be like, okay, well, let me just get my little camera phone out and I'm going to try to do this on my own. Um, because really from what I've heard, like typically to do a documentary, figure $100 an hour for every one minute uh, or yeah, $100 per minute of that you are wanting your documentary to be. So my documentary is going to be about 30 minutes. So 30 grand is what we'd be looking at. And I'm like, well, I don't have $30,000. <laughs> um, I, I don't even have $10,000. So um, 
yeah, so that's uh, any support would be so greatly appreciated. So I'll make sure that uh, your listeners get the link. Yes, So you absolutely. can post that in there. Um, so I have a, a separate PayPal um, link. So if you go under Daily Vitamin T-E-E, then you can find that under PayPal. I think okay. if you can do a search there, then you can do it cool. like that. Um, so I'm super excited. The premiere is going to be happening in April mm-hmm. uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so I'm excited for that to be taking place. Um, and then uh, Pastor Julian has been helping as well in terms of advice and tips and that sort of thing. And so... Um, the day of the of the premiere happens to be Good Friday, so he's otherwise engaged. Otherwise, he would be at the premiere. But I asked him, I said, so can we do a premiere at Tribes? And he said, oh, absolutely. He said, absolutely, we can do that. And I'm like, okay. So I'm excited about that. So at my premiere, I'm going to do um, show the film and then do a Q&A so um, mm-hmm. the audience will be able to ask questions and um, that sort of thing. My parents will be there, so I'm excited that they're going to um, be in the room for that. Um, they've been super huge supporters, um, of this, including helping to make sure I had funding so that when I went to, um, uh, see my birth family, uh, my birth mother, uh, for Thanksgiving that I could fly my videographer down, um, so that we could get, um, a lot of that filming done while I was there. So, Mm. yeah. I am for I'm just so proud of you for following the leading of God's calling yeah. in your life. Like I just Thank you. Thank you. It's incredible. And you're you're so vulnerable to so much pain and yet being optimistic and excited and then sh- taking your story and being able to share it to help others is yeah. just incredible. So Yeah. Yeah, I really feel that on my heart. Um mm-hmm. that there are so many people adoptees and adoptive parents and families that just need to hear what this journey is like and know that there's somebody that they can talk to and connect with um, and that it's not always easy and it's not always super glam. Um, It doesn't always look like some of the TV shows where we've had um, some of the um, like Lost Family and some of those shows Mm -hmm. where they've gotten to connect because you don't see what happens after. I mean, you get to see what looks like super rosy, awesome, they got to meet their family. But then you don't see, well, what what happens after that? What's the rest of the journey? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's important for people to just hear both sides and to also just realize that there's a story within from the birth parent's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that can sometimes get overlooked. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I'm excited that God's using it. Oh, yes. Yes. I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we might be um, having to do a part two because okay. there's so much more that we did. Oh not yes, dig yeah, into. <laughs> yes. There was a lot. There was a lot. Yes. So I'd love to come back. Uh, yeah. Thank you so so much for having me mm-hmm. on the show. I absolutely am very grateful for that. Very yes. grateful. Yes. Thanks for being on. All right. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Tiana. Uh, I know I did. Tiana, thank you again from the bottom of my heart for coming over to my studio and um, and just sharing, sharing your story and being vulnerable and open. And um, 
I just, I so appreciate you. And I can see God's work in you moving through you. And I do not care that we totally blasted through my like aim of 30 minutes or less um, because it was so worth it for me. So, um, all right, guys, share the mess out of this one because um, it's got a good message. All right. Have a wonderful week and we will see you next Wednesday. No, we won't. No, we won't. That's video. We don't do video here. We do audio. You'll hear us next Wednesday. I should say that instead. <laughs> All right, y'all. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to The Amy Williams Show. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If that is a yes, please let me know. Find The Amy Williams Show on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or all three of them. It's a great place to reach out and be a part of an uplifting community. It's full of support, motivation, and encouragement for whatever you might be going through. You'll meet new friends, get great content throughout the week, and not just on Wednesdays. The biggest compliment that you can give to The Amy Williams Show is by subscribing either on iTunes if you're an iPhone user or using the Stitcher app uh, if you're an Android user like me. And uh, the other thing you can do is leave a review with your biggest takeaway. Reviews help get guests on the show and sponsors as well. So uh, that's very much appreciated. And also you can share the episodes uh, on your social media because that helps as well. All right. Thanks again. Go out and have a blessed day.